Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday. And man, if you thought I was excited yesterday, Shamika was in studio with me. Now, I got twice the fun. Shamika Michelle is back, and she's joined by the smartest man on the show, <laughs> Delano Squires, in from Washington, D.C. It's so great to have both of you here in studio. Uh, Uncle Jimmy, uh, still recovering and, and doing well. Obviously, it takes two people to replace Uncle Jimmy. That's why Shamika and Delano are here. Uh, we have a awesome, fantastic show planned for you. Uh, Chad Prather, my Blaze TV colleague, host of the Chad Prather Show, he's going to join us uh, at the back end of the show and talk about his new book, Am I Crazy? You want to stick around for that? You're going to see a side of me in that engagement with Chad because I love comedy. I love comedians. Uh, I believe that comedians and ministers are actually uh, protectors of the truth and protectors of the realm, and they're letting us down. And so you're going to see the comedic side of me when we bring Chad Prather on. Uh, Steve Kim, my Asian brother from another mother, he's going to join us uh, in about 30 minutes or so. Uh, Sage Steele is off air at ESPN. We'll talk about that uh, with Steve Kim. Uh, Delano has written a column about redefining uh, the word sellout or redefining who we call a sellout. we asked the question on his column, Snoop Dogg or Clarence Thomas, who's the sellout? We'll get into that, but we're going to start by me uh, starting a fire. You guys ready for this fire? You have fire retardant uh, <laughs> clothes on. Are you prepared for this? I'm ready for it. I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready to be a little what do you think about the boots Shamika's wearing? Uh, she's all Nash. She's Nashville ready. Is that that? Did you wear that specifically because you were in Nashville? I did. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Uh, All right. Let me start this fire. See if I can get this blaze going. Uh, If they ever make a movie about NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, it should be called Greased Lying. It would be the perfect follow up to the 1977 biopic Greased Lightning, which dramatized the life and times of Wendell Scott the first allegedly black race car driver to win a NASCAR event. According to corporate media, Bubba Wallace made history yesterday when NASCAR officials canceled the final 71 laps of a race at Talladega Super Speedway because of rain. Wallace, while sitting in his pit hoping the race would be called, became the second ambiguously black man to win the highest level of stock car racing. This momentous occasion was documented by the Associated Press, the New York Times, and ESPN, as if it were the equivalent of Jackie Robinson's first at bat for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. Let me quote from the Associated Press story. With a crowd gathered behind the pit, standing, chanting its support, one man told his six-year-old son, clad in in a Wallace shirt, and jumping up and down along the fence that he was witnessing history. Now, what we're all witnessing is a distortion of history. Corporate media wants us to believe Bubba Wallace is Wendell Scott and that 2021 is 1963. Let me try another movie analogy. 
Bubba Wallace is Marty McFly, starring in Half Black to the Future. <laughs> the media believes Bubba's stock car transports him to the 1950s and 60s, where his half black status would make him controversial and polarizing. It doesn't. And even if it did, Bubba would be shocked at what he found in that long ago era of racing. Wendell Scott was a publicity stunt. Born and raised in Danville, Virginia, Scott got his shot as a race car driver because the Danville Speedway had trouble drawing crowds. A smart promoter, recognizing the popularity boost integration gave Major League Baseball, decided he needed a black driver to increase attendance and drive media attention. Scott was an infamous bootleg whiskey driver in the area and was light-skinned enough to not spark a full-on KKK rally. Comedian Richard Pryor played the role of Scott in the movie Grease Lightning. Comedian John C. Riley would have been a better choice. Riley looks like one of Scott's seven children. Whatever, Scott started his driving career on the Dixie Circuit, a regional rival to NASCAR. Scott became the Dixie Circuit's top attraction. His white competitors initially tried to kill him on the track, ruthlessly bumping his car, but over time, his competitors came to respect him, his skill, and the courage he showed. Southern newspapers fell in love with Scott and the racial narrative. They began writing favorable articles. Eventually, as most capitalist organizations do, NASCAR decided to cash in on the Wendell Scott phenomenon. Bill France's organization reluctantly granted Scott a license in the mid-1950s. In 1963, Scott won a race in Jacksonville, Florida. Track officials ruled that a white driver, Buck Baker, won the race. Two hours later, track officials determined they made a clerical error and that Scott won the race by two laps. NASCAR waited two years before officially awarding Scott the victory. Wendell Scott faced real bigotry, discrimination, and hardship. Corporate media wants you to believe nothing has changed and that Bubba Wallace is reliving Scott's life in 2021. It's just not true. Scott raced as a gimmick on a shoestring budget. Bubba Wallace has been previously backed by the king of racing, Richard Petty, the man Wendell Scott passed to win the 1963 race. Wallace is now backed by Michael Jordan and McDonald's, arguably the two biggest brands in America. Modern corporate media refuses to tell America's story of racial progress. Worse, it's distorting the past and trying to make it worse. Look at this excerpt from the Associated Press story on Bubba Wallace. Wallace is the first black driver to win at the top level of elite stock car racing since Wendell Scott in 1963, a race in which he wasn't declared the victor until long after Buck Baker had already been awarded the trophy. NASCAR at last presented Scott's family with his trophy from the race two months ago. This is Grease Line. 
It's an intentional misrepresentation, misrepresentation of fact. Someone unfamiliar with Scott's history could easily conclude after reading that passage that NASCAR waited 57 years to recognize Scott's victory. NASCAR waited two hours. The organization waited two years before updating its official records. As for the trophy presentation at Scott's family, that was just another modern day publicity stunt done to capitalize on all the meaningless George Floyd inspired racial publicity stunts sanctioned by corporate America. Pretending America is trapped in a racist Groundhog Day is the mainstream media's number one grift. Scott faced seething hostility on the racetrack and had a victory stolen from him. When it comes to Wallace, today's media believes that a knot on a garage door rope that Wallace never saw is the equivalent of what Scott experienced. From the Associated Press story from yesterday. In June 2020 at Talladega, NASCAR discovered a noose in the garage stall assigned to Wallace. The finding came just a week after NASCAR blamed the Confederate flag or banned the Confederate flag at its events at Wallace's urging. But wait for it. The AP's next sentence renders the previous paragraph pointless. Quote, the AP wrote this. The FBI investigated and found that the noose was tied at the end of a garage door pull and had been there for, for months, meaning Wallace was not a victim of a hate crime. If he wasn't a victim of a hate crime, why bring it up in a story yesterday in promotion of Bubba Wallace? Nothing happened. So you just wasted a bunch of paragraphs trying to paint the impression that, oh my God, look what happened to Bubba Wallace. A noose was tied in his, in his garage and people were threatening. Oh, but no, they weren't. The FBI investigated and it was nothing but a, a, a knot on a rope to pull the garage door down. They act like every time a black person sees a knot that looks anything like a noose, that we just fall to pieces. Oh my God, they're out to kill us. They're out to kill us. There's a knot at the end of a rope. <laughs> Most, I, I'm just, it's a joke. The New York Times canonized Wallace yesterday by arguing his wearing of t-shirts and promotion of slogans in support of George Floyd, Eric Garner, and Black Lives Matter raised Wallace from relative obscurity to national prominence. Times wrote that Wallace told them a year ago that he'd given little to no fault about his blackness until the Black Lives Matter movement became hyper popular over social media. Times, I'm quoting here, that changed in 2020 after Wallace watched the video of the killing of Ahmad Arbery, a black man who was shot while jogging in a mostly white neighborhood in Georgia. Wallace said he was stirred to think more deeply about racial dynamics of his country and his sport and to finally speak out. It's more Grease lying. Bubba Wallace, no different from the New York Times, no different from the Associated Press, no different from ESPN, saw an opportunity to profit and benefit from the death of black men killed by white men. It's a hustle. It's not much different from the hustle Wendell Scott agreed to 60 years ago when he joined the Dixie Circuit as its main ambiguously black attraction.
That's my fire. I, <laughs> the media is obsessed yep. with convincing us we're living in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and they have this narrative that they're obsessed with, and, and they've just moved Bubba Wallace right into it, and, and am I right here for bu- bu- that Bubba Wallace is just another tool to convince us that absolutely nothing has changed in our life is just like our great-granddaddy's life. For sure. And and when it comes to a marketing ploy of putting a half-black person, they they did that again with Obama when they the communists decided we needed him as a black president. And so nothing has really changed. And for Bubba to say he wasn't thinking about it until Ahmaud Arbery, you weren't thinking about it until you realized you could actually move to the front of the line. Mr. Lightskin. And so now all of a sudden you've you've become this national sensation and huh, you've won a race by default, if you ask me, because I'm not a sports person. But I once I read it, I said, well, wait a minute. Did he win by default? Because technically, in my opinion, had the race continued, someone else could have taken the lead. Well, it's certainly it happens in NASCAR, in auto racing, right. consistent for sh- races to be shortened by rain and people declared victors in rain shortened races. But you're right, the guy sat in his pit for 45 minutes begging for the race to be called mm. because he knew that if they went back on the track and finished the, the race, he, he didn't have the car, he wasn't gonna win. It, it, it's, but, but first of all, it's not history because, again, it's the second time. Wendell Scott's already made the history right. for light-skinned black people to win a NASCAR race. <laughs> I, I, I'm t- I looked at the whole thing. I'm like, are we sure Wendell Scott was actually black? Are, are we really mm-hmm. sure? I mean, he looked. But anyway, it's, it's Delano. Yeah, I mean, when I saw, first saw the picture of Wendell Scott, I thought, well, he looks a little bit like a tan Richard Petty. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, <laughs> It, to me, winning a race is significant enough, even though, to Shamika's point, I would have preferred to see him, you know, cross the checkered flag. But the New York Times consistently, like a lot of other advocacy media organizations, consistently beats that racial drum. Because to your point, they want to convince us that 2021 is no different than, than 1921. And... The fact that they acknowledge that Bubba Wallace, who was little known before that, I'm, I'm sure, you know, outside of NASCAR fans, gained prominence over an incident that they admit was a was a hoax. Right. They admit that the rope had been there for months. So clearly no one targeted him. The FBI came and investigated. Um, it wasn't a noose, but they still call it a noose because they know that that term is loaded with a lot of historical baggage. And they know that even if they just toss it out there, when they correct it in the next sentence, most people don't even consider it. They just hear mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace was targeted with a noose. And then from there, you saw him on The View. You, you saw people like Jamel Hill on MSNBC saying that, you know, all NASCAR fans are, are racist. And it, to me, the, the whole incident last year was, was unfortunate because it just continues to um, pull the country apart. And I, and I think they really want us to be, you know, pulled apart into, into tribal factions. And that's, that's not going to end well in, in this country. You know, here's what 
cracks me up or, or bothers me about the whole noose thing. More black people have died by guns mm -hmm. and gun violence. Mm. But the sight of a gun doesn't make us, oh my God, right. a gun. <laughs> right. This reminds me of all the trauma we experienced right. over all these years because of gun violence. No, no one does that. Right. But the sight of a noose, and mm -hmm. trust me when I say this, in America, more white people have died at the end of a noose than black people. Mm -hmm. We act like the noose was, oh. somebody said, you know what? We need to come up with a knot for killing black people and we're gonna call it a noose. Like it was created for this specific role mm -hmm. of killing black people. No, it was created to hang people. Right. And it used to be, if you stole cattle, you could get hung by a noose. Right. And some, a lot of white people did. And any crime, the, the people that killed Lincoln, all hung by a noose. But, but it's only if we see a noose, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, we've yeah. seen a noose. Yeah. Right. It, it's worse than a ghost. White people see a noose and they just like keep it moving. I don't understand why we can't, again, this, the media has told us, oh my God, the noose is the worst thing in the world. And if you see one as a black person, you should be offended. And, and they have that power uniquely, in my opinion, over us. Right. The media can convince us of anything. Yes. We are, and maybe I'm being wrong by reducing it strictly to us because I look at so many uh, white Americans or, or just white and other people, the media has told them that COVID is waiting around every corner and it's gonna jump on you and choke you and your whole family out. The data says that there's a 1%, less than 1% chance of you dying, but they got everybody convinced that COVID's just around the corner, lurking in the corner, and it, it's gonna, get, so the media's ability to, to, to provoke fear right. within all of us yes. is mind-blowing. I'm just, when are we gonna move, particularly those of us that are believers, fear is just not a godly thing, nope. but we are, enamored with it and obsessed with it. Correct. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. But we, no one wants to live by that. And when you talk about how the media can make us, even as black people, just say, oh my God, a noose. It's the same when they talk about someone looking like a monkey or acting like a, a monkey. And I love to say someone's acting like an untamed gorilla, but they will automatically say, oh no, you're being racist. And no, that's not racist. And why do we feel like we own right. the stereotype of right. monkeys as black people. That was one of the things Dick Gregory really helped me out about. I went to one of his shows before he died and he had me come on stage and I helped to hold up a picture of a gorilla. And he was saying, why do we get so upset when someone referenced someone else as a gorilla? We think, oh, that's a black person. And he said, tell me between black and white people, who has the most hair on their body? And I'm like, ooh, you know. <laughs> and he like, tell me which one has the little lips like this and I'm like, you know, you're right. And he said, so why do we own that? Like that has nothing to do with us. And I want black people to stop acting like anytime that's a reference that is for black people. But the media has made us feel like anytime someone says a monkey or a gorilla or, you know, that that's us. And 
why do we own that? It's like we own every negative stereotype. stereotype. Yep. Like Bill Clinton was the first uh, black president. Right. Why? Because he blew a saxophone, smoked weed, and got his ass up. You know, it's like he's the. I hate that, and we do that as black people, like yeah. you said. But no one's scared of a gun. All those except for the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> And, but we take it all in, you know, yeah. and, and that's we claimed him for those reasons. Yeah. And one of the worst parts is that it oftentimes it's self-appointed and oftentimes elected black leaders who help the media push that fear. One of the worst things about that Bubba Wallace incident last year to me was the fact that Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, the mayor who clearly has her own problems, got on Twitter after the so-called noose was found in the garage and tweeted her support to Bubba Wallace and demanded a federal investigation during the same weekend where over 100 people were shot in her city. And when it came time, when the Trump administration ordered, I mean, offered federal help, FBI, ATF, DEA, to deal with the, the homicide spike and the spike in shootings in Chicago, she turned it down because she didn't want Trump's troops, quote unquote, in Chicago. So federal help, is is good for Bubba Wallace mm -hmm. in a NASCAR garage in the South for a noose that he didn't see, but it's not good enough for the black citizens in, in her own country. I mean, in her own city, excuse me. And I think that is perfectly representative of where we are today in terms of uh, the crisis in black leadership. And to your point, often, oftentimes it's life, it's not what people call you, it's what you answer to. Mm -hmm. And the fact that even today in 2021, for a lot of black folk, when they hear the word, when we hear the word patriot, we think that some white person is dog whistling to right. conservatives. But when we hear, I remember one time that this, a senator said something about, you know, uh, you know, if you want to defund the police, then call a crackhead when, when somebody comes banging on your door trying to, trying to rob you. And there were some people who got offended by that because when, when they hear crackhead, they think, oh, that's a dog whistle about black folks. And my position is the two most famous crackheads in this country right now are both white men tied to presidents. Mm. One is the My Pillow guy, who's tied to, to President Trump, and the other is Hunter Biden, who's tied to obviously Joe Biden. So when I hear crackhead, I don't think about black folk, I think about them. And when I hear patriot, I don't automatically assume somebody's talking about white people, right? Because black people have served in every war since this country was founded. So I think a lot of it is, is based on what we as black folk think about ourselves. And that is why we react to these things in the way that we do. Right. Man, I had not thought about that Hunter Biden, Mike Lindell point. That, that's a great one. Uh, one thing I have given a lot of thought to is the things that we keep, uh, I'm telling you, the puppet strings the media has on us are so incredible and so powerful that, because again, whatever they tell us, well, this is yours, watermelon. Mm -hmm. fried chicken mm -hmm. and and these are all negative things and, and first of all I haven't met anybody I haven't met anybody black white Asian what met that doesn't like fried chicken right and and so I, I, I just go oh, <laughs> that somehow this neck watermelon from all of my understanding is very healthy mm -hmm. certainly tastes good yeah. it does. Uh, and so I don't even understand <laughs> how these things have these negative connotations. But the other thing that they keep placing on us, and Shamika, you, you dropped a bombshell first thing out of your mouth when you brought up Barack Obama, is there, and Colin Kaepernick, 
and Bubba Wallace. There are all these half freaking Americans, and I have no problem with them. None. I promise you, I don't have a problem with them. But let's quit acting like they're thoroughbred black people. Right. They would have never been called the black African booty scratcher growing up. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but, and, and also, I mean, when you start talking about Barack, raised by his white mama and his white grandparents, Bubba Wallace, white daddy, who's right in the trenches with him as a, as a race car driver, who Colin Kaepernick, adopted by a white family. These, th these people were given all kinds of white so-called values, a white upbringing, but the media has them pop up, oh, they're black, mm -hmm. and they speak for you, and anything they do, you mu it's all this great black accomplishment, and, and, and I'm just like, I, I, don't, I don't understand it on their end mm -hmm. in terms of why they want to reject the white part of them and as it relates to Barack Obama, the part that actually raised and loved him, why reject that? Because society or the media has told you that you, ha you have to. I think it's inauthentic. I think they have identity confusion issues. And that's where, again, the, the, everything that's being executed by the left, particularly as it relates to black people, I always see an identity crisis yep. at the heart of it. Yep. It's a sexual identity crisis. Lori Lightfoot, mm -hmm. Little Nas X, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or some kind of racial identity crisis. It, it's I can't I, I can't wait to see somebody that's just like two black parents grew up in a black environment, graduated from an HBCU. I want one of them to be the face of one of these. Because <laughs> there's a, people now, because I've been talking about this profile of, of, you know, it's like I'm an FBI profiler. And I got friends that call me like, anytime one of these issues come up, they go, damn, fits the profile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, sure. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this <laughs> right, out. Right, right. And, and I say that, and I just want to be clear, because it sounds like I'm picking on them, but everybody knows I don't have a problem with interracial kids. I just want them to stay in their lane. Right, for so, sure. Oh, I was just, before you oh, say something smart, <laughs> I was just going to say, I've often said that Colin should have taken up having black fathers in the home since that's mm. who left him. That's a, I mean, that's a wonderful point. I, I'll say this. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit, right? For a couple of reasons. One is that if we take that perspective, then there are a lot of prominent figures in black history who we're gonna have to reevaluate. One of them is right behind us, which is Frederick Douglass. Booker T, Du Bois. There's a lot of people who, had, who come from sort of mixed race ancestry um, in, in black history, right? That doesn't mean that- I think we all do, but go ahead. Right, right, but, but I mean direct. Yeah. One white parent, one black parent. So, but that doesn't- Booker T is mixed race, are you I, sure? I believe so. We'll have to look it up, and please fact check me if I'm wrong. <laughs> about to. Um, but, but one of the things that I think happens, right, and I do agree that a lot of this is, is about identity crisis and a desire to, to show, hey, just because I'm light-skinned, just because I'm biracial, doesn't mean I'm not down for the cause. Right. Given that, there are also, you know, Jason, as you would call them, thoroughbreds who are completely into this nonsense. I've talked about Mark Lamont Hill before, mm. right? 
I don't have anything personal against his brother. And I, I appreciate the fact that he's one of the few people on the left who will talk to conservatives about issues and debate them. But he's the person who says, yeah, I think men can get pregnant. Right. He went to an HBCU, fully black, in a black fraternity. So you, you find these types of ideas and these worldviews across the spectrum of blackness. But as I said, there are people who I do think are trying to overcompensate. For sure. And trying to tell us, no, you can trust me. I'm, I'm really down for the cause. I'm really down for the struggle. And, and what they end up doing is they end up playing into some of the worst aspects of what they think blackness is. And to your point, Jason, we talked about this last week, blackness has now moved from a question of ancestry and lineage to a question of political ideology. And, and the left is trying to tie black racial identity to every agenda that they have right now. Um, and that's why it feels like we're constantly on this, on this merry-go-round of, okay, what's, what's, what's up in blackness today? Okay, now we believe men can get, baby, can, can get pregnant? Sure, that's tied to blackness because um, LGBT issues are tied to blackness because they experience discrimination and marginalization just the same way black people did, you know, in the civil rights era. And I think that's that's what we're starting to see play out. And and when a person like Bubba Wallace does it, again, he's trying to to let us know, hey, black folk, I may have never checked for y'all before, but I know what it feels like to be discriminated against. And that's why you can accept me as one of your own. And, And I think that's what we see playing out oftentimes. Yeah, and that's what's aggravating for me. Like, uh, because if you didn't see it before, if you never paid attention to it before, was it actually happening to you? Right. You know, and I don't like the fact that some of them are the loudest, like Trevor Noah, who will then turn around and question me as a conservative on whether or not I'm black. And I'm thinking, first of all, Trevor, if we hold you underwater, your hair is going to look like as if you may not fit with me, okay? Mm. And so... Stop. Don't question me then because you're you're this half black, half white person. Now you want to question me because of my politics on whether or not I'm black. Like there was a I had to speak in Dallas last year and there was a mixed race girl who heckled me saying, are you black? Are you black? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you I need to get back in the oven and be baked a little bit more. How dare you question me, dark skin, natural hair, I had an afro Mm. that day, on whether or not I'm black because you disagree with my politics. So then for me, not only do they overcompensate, then they try and question me on whether I'm black because of my politics. And for me, if you burn in the sun, you do not get to question me on whether or not I'm black. Booker T. Washington's dad was a white guy. Uh, that he never knew. Here's what I would, the clarity I would add add to my position, because I don't think we need to go back in history and recast Booker T or any of these people, because every day that Booker T Washington was on this earth, he was pretty much in a black environment. Mm. Holidays, you know, uh, he, he didn't go visit his white relatives for over the summer months and, and blah, blah, blah. That's back in the 1800s, 1700s, early part of the 20th century or whatever, being half black or half white was being all black. Uh, it, 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 you know, the same discrimination that you or I faced or people that look like you or I, them half black ones faced too. They wasn't sitting up in the big house with they 
of half brothers and sisters and, and you know, Booker T. Washington didn't grow up in the Milwaukee suburbs or oh. wherever, California suburbs, wherever Kaepernick, Kaepernick and these guys did. Uh-huh. They grew up, they were baked in a black oven, and, and I hate to even even go there and use that kind of terminology, but it was just a different experience right. than what African Americans have now today. They, they, many of them, as it relates to Barack Obama, he, he don't even know his black side. Somebody had to tell him about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he you know, tried to get some through his wife and through uh, Reverend Wright and that church and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, th- that's like summer school. He went to summer school and tried to make up for some grades that, uh, you know, <laughs> there are some classes that I got taught in kindergarten. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's getting them at 30 years old. And so, I, look, I, I, I don't want to denigrate or be divisive, but I just don't think it's a coincidence Mm -hmm. that all of these people at the forefront of these racial uh, conversations, not all, but a lot of them, uh, have this identity issue that our culture gives you because we're so racially divided and we don't take our identity from Christ like we should, we take our identity now through our gender, uh, through our race, and all those are the primary drivers of a lot of people's point of view. And it, it's created a, 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 a just a hot mess. And that's why, you know, sitting around, running around like Bubba Wallace is living any type of life similar to Wendell Scott and facing any, the, 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 all the damn drivers in NASCAR are half afraid of Bubba Wallace. Right. They all rallied behind him as a show of support because a knot on a rope uh, that he didn't see. I mean, could you imagine that? Mm. I mean, sir, black people used to hang, and just people used to hang from nooses. Yes. And, 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 and they would get less sympathy and less support than what we're giving Bubba Wallace for a noose he didn't see, right. a noose that wasn't a noose, a no- no one's posed a threat. I'm just t- if they put a knot, a noose in my dressing room tomorrow, <laughs> seriously, someone go plant one in my dressing room, ain't <laughs> a damn thing gonna stop for me. Right. I'm not gonna, oh my God, I'm, my life, they're, they're trying to send me inside and I, I don't feel comfortable working here. Yeah. Right. We're acting like, Lynchings are still going on today, and they're just not. And I know they, the Washington Post wrote some story that uh, there's a handful of families out here that believe in the last 30 years there have been three lynchings. In, the <laughs> in, in Mississippi, I remember that story. I mean, t- two things really quick. One, I agree with your point in terms of where we draw our identity, right? I've written about it before, and one of the things that really helped me sort of mature and develop um, as a man, and, and particularly as a Christian, is saying, you know what? I believe the Bible when it says that from one man, God made all of, of humanity, right? So regardless of what you look like or your lineage or your ethnicity or your nationality or what language you speak, there is nothing for you to be ashamed of because you are God's creation. So that's, that's one part. But the, the other part, um, which goes to something we were talking about before, is, again, this type of racial division that's being drummed up, it's, it's not gonna lead anywhere but, but tribalism, right? And, and eventually, people are gonna get tired of being told that they are racist 
you know, just because they don't believe the Bubba Wallace story or just because they have different views on, you know, the, the NASCAR or, or any other sport. And it's, it's not going to be good for sports. And I think the Times and, ES, and ESPN was even worse because on, on their article, they really were push, they kept calling it a noose because they know exactly what, what they're doing. They want the tribalism. They want the separation. For some reason, they must think it's good for ratings, but it's not because eventually sports fans are going to get tired of being called racist um, because of the sports that they like or their political views. And, you know, it's, it's going to hit them in their bottom line. Right. And OK. Now, they keep referring to NASCAR as predominantly white, predominantly white, right. like as if that's a bad thing. But isn't basketball predominantly black? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Let me tell you about my good friends over at Built Bar. For those of you that are looking for the proper kick to their day, you need to look no further than Built Bar. Built Bars have helped me in my daily fight to take back control of my health and weight. Uh, they're filled with lots of taste and flavor, but low in sugars and calories. You won't believe what you're tasting when you have one. They put those other protein bars from the supermarket to shame, and guess what? They're now the official protein bar of NASCAR. How about that for some synergy? Try any of their amazing flavors like the salted pretzel, peanut butter brownie, or one of my personal favorites, Rocky Road. You do not want to miss out on these, so go order a box right now. Go to Built.com and use the promo code FEARLESS. Use the promo code FEARLESS. You'll save 15% off at Built.com. Support the advertisers who are supporting me and your point of view. You guys want to know what you can do to push back? It's really just as simple. Go to Built.com, use the promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Built.com. All right, welcome back. All right, to Shamika and Delano, still here in studio with me. We're having a great uh, Tuesday show. We want to roll out to Los Angeles and uh, bring in our friend, friend of the show, contributor for Fearless, Steve Kim, who will be here in studio later in the week. Uh, Steve, we've been talking about, you know, uh, Bubba Wallace and uh, the American corporate media's effort to make us all believe that we're actually living in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Uh, I wondered if you have a take on Bubba Wallace and his historic uh, first victory at Talladega Speedway. He's he's the new Wendell Scott. Yeah, I kind of analogize it to the Delta variant because as I walk around and live my life out here in Koreatown, L.A. and East L.A. Montebello, you know, when I see people out and about, no one is really afraid of the Delta variant. They've gone on with their lives. It's not a big deal. Uh, they're complying with every rules they have to, but I don't see a lot of people masking up and just going in and out living their lives, going to restaurants, eating, meeting lunch, and having fun at ball games. So if it wasn't for the mainstream media, the Delta variant would not be a speck on our minds. Same thing with this story. Until you guys sent it to me, I had no idea what had happened with Bubba Wallace. To me, Bubba Wallace was a story in the summer of George Floyd with that version of the Jesse Smollett uh, story that he kind of rode to the hilt and tried to use it to all his advantage. Congratulations to him. 
But if the media didn't actually make a big deal about this, and I'll be honest, I don't watch ESPN a lot except for live sports, unless you guys specifically brought it up to me and it wasn't for certain news outlets hammering it home that this was some sort of historic achievement, I wouldn't know about it. And the other question I ask is, um, if no one really cares that much is it a historic achievement? It's like that old saying of if a tree falls and no one hears it, does it actually make a sound? Mm-hmm. That, that would really be my only take on Bubba Wallace. He brings a good point. I've, I've been in this argument with people in recent years about, do you know the difference between a distinction and history? Mm. And it's just like, hey, this is a nice little distinction. He's the second black driver right. to win a NASCAR race. He didn't make any history, but the media has to convince us that everything's historic and it's part of the hype machine. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's part of an overall hype. My God, tune in tonight. Bubba Wallace may make history. Tune in tonight. LeBron James may catch Michael Jordan tonight. You c- it could be history, and it's like, it worked for Tiger Woods and golf. Mm-hmm. But now they're trying to apply it to everything and other sports, and it just falls flat here because it's a distinction of very little relevance. It's not really history. Right. And it's like we've seen it. We've gone through the Tiger Woods experience. Bubba Wallace just don't strike us the same way. At all. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think, I mean, part of it is that Tiger Woods is one of the all-time greats. And so you get, you should be celebrated when you're, when you're great, right? When you're at the top of your profession. But when you're mediocre and the only thing you're, you are known for is your, your race or ethnicity or your gender in the Danica Patrick, you know, example, um, it, comes, it comes across as a little hollow. And generally speaking, most people don't know who number two is. There's a reason that everyone knows Jackie Robinson's name and few people outside of hardcore baseball fans know Larry Doby's name, right? Because when you're number two, it's, it's not number one for a reason. So, I mean, ESPN, we, we know where they are when it comes to issues of race and, and gender, and they're going to push this as hard as they can. The, the next turn up on the wheel of oppression obviously is going to be, you know, the first, uh, you know, transgender athlete to win some big award. They started with, you know, Caitlyn Jenner and said that, that he, Bruce Jenner was- uh, He is correct. That, that he was a, um, <laughs> a, a, a courageous athlete, skipped over actual females, right? Actual female athletes to say that, that you know, this person is, is courageous. That was, I think, 2015. Now we are even more invested in, you know, identity politics than we were then. So it's only a matter of time before that one is the next one up. And then in 20 years, we'll hear about the third transgender athlete to you know, win the Tour de France or something like that. And then we'll have to be having this conversation, you know, once again, so. Yeah, I like the way you said we need to know the difference between distinction and history, because I'm tired of them making everything historic, like Beyonce being the first uh, black female headliner for Coachella. Like, I don't think that's history. In 20 years, my kids are not going to be like, you know, you know. So I'm really sick of them using that for every single thing. It's a media gimmick, and, and Delano provides the perfect segue, Steve. He referenced ESPN, and there's a big story uh, coming out about ESPN today 
Uh, Sage Steele is off the air, and there are some arguing she's off the air because mm -hmm. she's tested positive for COVID. But Mike McCarthy at Front Office Sports has written a story. Let me read some of it. ESPN anchor Sage Steele has been removed from the air, sources told Front Office Sport. The co-anchor of the Noon Sports Center is expected to be off for at least a week, said sources. Steele is also expected to skip her turn as host of the ESPNW Women Plus Sports Summit, which takes place August 18th through the 20th. Steele has tested positive for COVID-19, according to sources, but her not appearing on air goes beyond her diagnosis. The ESPN anchor has also been the target of online criticism from former ESPN talent, including Jamel Hill and Keith Olbermann, for her stated resistance to vaccine shots mandated by ESPN, as well as her recent podcast comments about Barack Obama. Before I get your comments, Steve, I want to read her comment that she said she was on Jay Cutler's podcast and said, well, congratulations to President Barack Obama. That's his thing. <clears throat> I think that's fascinating, and she's talking about uh, about people questioning why Obama chose to identify as black on a census. She says, well, congratulations to the president, that's his thing. I think that's fascinating considering his black dad is nowhere to be found, but his Ooh. white mom and grandma <laughs> raised him. But okay, you do you, I'm gonna do me. Sage still bringing the smoke, Steve. What's your what's your take? Yeah, her nickname should be the chimney. She has so much smoke. I think it was George Orwell that once said, "In an age of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act." And I have to mm. give this uh, to her that, she, and you talk about this a lot, Jason. That a lot of these uh, kids or people that come from mixed marriages, they're very, very um, anti-white. They're so woke. Uh, to a point where they almost want their backgrounds expunged. Sage Steele has made the mistake, and I say that with quotation marks, of actually being honest and saying, hey, I'm part white and very proud of it. But this was Sage Steele's problem. There's a certain place that you're not allowed to go. Because if you arrive there, you might lose your job, you're going to lose a lot of friends, you might get suspended, and it might cost you money. That place is called there. She went there. And once you arrive there, you're gonna find out there are some consequences of being there. So keep this in mind. So if, when you're on the free speech freeway and you see there in two miles, you better be very careful if you wanna pull off. And what she said is factually true, but I don't think she's allowed to say it. I read a story uh, from a website where ESPN gave a comment uh, about this situation, said, no, we, and it basically said, well, we respect everyone's right to have dialogue, and this is one of the great things about uh, our place is that we welcome that type of stuff as long as it's consistent with our values. My question mm -hmm. is, does our values really mean our views? And Jason, I've told you this before, I watch a lot of the Black Manosphere, certain channels I believe are very bright guys or intelligent, and they have a certain viewpoint they have said this about Obama. They've pointed this out. They've done an hour video talking about this whole dynamic. The difference is they are not working at corporate legacy media where certain things, even if they are true, are not part of the approved messaging. I'm gonna 
Wait, I'm going to hold my tongue and see if you guys, Shamika, I'm going to let you go up to bat here first. Your take on the way ESPN's handling Sage Steele and her comments on Barack Obama. I mean, I definitely agree. It's just not on... you know, they're not accepting of what she's saying. It was actually true. And I was talking to Delana before and I said, oh, I may have to rethink my position on the light skin speaking out so much because at <laughs> <laughs> this time I agreed, you know. So I, I think that that's right. When you're working, though, for someone who doesn't want to push that narrative and you go against it, you're going to get in trouble for it. And I think that's unfortunate. I think it's unfair. Um, but I definitely think that's why they're giving her so much uh, flack about is because it just doesn't, it's not what they wanted to hear. And I would also like to point out, though, I appreciate the picture you all just put up of her and that she looked like a woman because I get sick of females being in predominantly male uh, jobs or male roles and feeling like they have to dress like men. Mm. So I thought she looked really pretty and sexy in that picture. And I, I appreciate that because, mm. I, you know, Kamala is always... What women are you talking about on TV? They all got their legs out. They all. <laughs> I, I must miss it, or maybe I'm focused too much on Kamala because she always looks like a man. She never. Oh, Kamala. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Kamala. Yeah, and so, uh, called her Kamala. I was like, I'm sorry. Because the last time I called the Kamala, I got in trouble. So I'm like, well, is it Kamala, Kamala? You know. Yeah. I, I mean, I Ho, think. I don't. I, I think. No. Um, a couple things. One, I could easily see Sage Steele going the Will Kane route because um, ESPN seems to make life very difficult for anyone who is not fully on the left. I heard the comments. They weren't remotely controversial to me. I, th- I understand exactly what she's saying. The, the left can't say that we want more dialogue, more conversations about race, and then get upset when people hold views that go against the dominant narrative. Um, again, I have no problem with anyone who wants to celebrate all aspects of their identity, their ethnic heritage, because in, in many respects, it is disrespectful. If you have one white parent and one black parent, and, and the black parent didn't help raise you to act as if the, the white side of you doesn't exist. Right. And, what, and even though you know, you know, President Obama was elected in, in 08, prior to that point, there were a lot of black folk, particularly on the black left, who were openly, opening, openly questioning his blackness. Right. Um, now, to, I think you made this point, Jason. He was able to say, look, I'm married to Michelle from the South Side, right? I, I went to Jeremiah Wright's church, and in that way, he was able to show up his you know, racial bona fides. But I think in many respects, we are going to have to, to question, as a country, and particularly as black folk, do we want the one-drop rule to still apply? No. This is, this is 2021. No. <laughs> it's one of them things that I keep saying. It's like anything that white racists came up with, we adopt and like, we're going to make it ours. Oh, they call us. N- we, 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 we're going to take ownership of the N word. It's ours now. And only we can use it. And we love it. And right. anybody. Any, oh, my God. Only we can say it. And the one drop rule. Mm-hmm. Races came up with that. Oh my God. We just adopted that and took it on as ours. Any. Th- oh, black people, racist. Oh, black people love fried chicken. Oh, now we. Anything a white racist comes up with, we hop on it, jump on it, claim it as our own. 
I got so much respect for Sage Steele mm-hmm. in terms of, because again, I, don't, I just keep repeating, I just want to protect myself and just be clear. Got no problem with interracial kids, no problem with interracial dating, none of that. I just wish they would all get in a real place like Sage Steele and be respectful of the fact, particularly if you got two parents that both participated in your life, why would you abandon right. the white or black side of your father? We gave Tiger Woods a lot of flack because he said he's Cobblin' Asian. We he did. wanted to be respectful of his mama right. and what she mm-hmm. brought to the table, his daddy, who was a bit mixed race. And I regret, because I, I think, not to a, a strong degree, but I participated to some degree in the like early on, like, man, Tiger shouldn't say, He's, you know, and again, what you know what our justification always is for this type of stuff? If the cops catch him. No, yes, that, yeah. but also it's like, well, the world sees you as an right. N-word. And right. so right. it's like, I got to accept everything racist think about me. I got, right. oh, they get to define who I am? Uh, Steve, I'm going to let you hop back in here. Uh, yeah. You have any further? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to expound upon what Delano said, the greatest irony is that, uh, for the first time, maybe Sage Seal is thought of as the black sheep. And the other part of that story I thought was interesting <laughs> is that she was forced, uh, along with every other ESPN employee that works up there, to get the vaccine, to be on air, to be in employment, and to actually get assignments. And then she tested positive for COVID. This is another message mm-hmm. that they try to push on you at Disney. When I was still there last year, when it began, I remember the case where there was that picture for the Tampa Bay Double Race at that point. I think his name was Blake Snell. And he got caught on this video saying, oh, man, this is about my safety. They're making me go out there and we're not going to get our full pay because we're not as playing many games. And then I got to be taxed. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. First of all, Blake, is this about the safety or your money or the fact you want to you don't want to be taxed? First of all, as it relates to taxes. Ask Al Capone how that worked out. So anyway, that passed, and I thought that was really interesting. And no ESPN employee got on him um, that's on air for saying, hey, Blake, in an era where everyone is not allowed to work, you're making millions of dollars to actually play a game. Maybe you ought to be blessed. And whatever inconveniences in terms of being in a bubble, being tested, maybe you should just accept that as a blessing. So fast forward a couple of weeks later. UFC has a contract with ESPN led by Dana White, who's very, very pro-Trump. I would say he's conservative, but he's a great American capitalist. So he starts running UFC shows that are aired by ESPN. On the first night they did a show, I just happened to tweet innocuously, huh, a live sporting event on ESPN with athletes going through the process. I wonder what Blake Snell thinks. Literally, guys, within one or two minutes, I was given a very, very... Um, I would say hasty text saying, Steve, you need to take that down immediately. And I go, what? Well, you know, the the one about Snell. And I said, why? Well, you know, and I know why. It didn't go against. It went against the message because we were all basically going to be used as whatever members we played on ESPN to amplify the fear of COVID, whether you had it or not. That's one of those things that I'll always remember about my last six, seven months at the network. Steve, you, you say that, and it's, it's very troubling and disturbing that corporations are forcing their employees to do things that they don't really believe in. They're censoring the thoughts 
of the ESPN says they're open to this wide spectrum of opinions and views, but you've told multiple stories about, and again, it's not like you have some massive 4 million, 10 million Twitter yeah. followers. You have a relatively modest amount of Twitter followers, but ESPN is micromanaging your individual thoughts to that level. That's just not appropriate in a free society. Am, am I right? No, you're right. Look, my following is, is look, I'm Steve Kim, not Kim Kardashian. I don't have that type of reach. I don't have that type of following. But I do understand that there is a party line that you have to tow. And let's say you are still an employee at ESPN and you basically said, I, I am for pro-choice as it relates to the vaccine. I'm going to wait. Uh, there's two things here. Number one, you're not allowed to say that. They, they would tell you to expunge that social media post really quickly. And number two, I think that corporation and that company's made it very clear you're getting vaxxed, bottom line. Um, I, and look, and people say, well, you have to do what you have to do to work. You're right. And fortunately, all of us here on this stage, Shamika and Delano and, and you, Jason, we are in a position right now where we have our freedoms. But I made a decision about seven, eight months ago as boxing matches started to occur again with live audiences that if they were going to require vaccination proof, I'm just not going to go. It's fine. Now, will I get a proof of testing within 72 hours? That I was willing to do. That I understood. And I visited a few places where I've had a few jobs. They said to me, Steve, you have to be tested within 72 hours. And you know what? I understood that that was a compromise that I could meet them halfway. But like you, Jason, I want to have the right to have a little bit more proof of the efficacy of the vaccine. That's all I'm asking for. And to demonize anyone like Sage Steele who says, you know what? I didn't like being forced to get a vaccine. And then on top of it, she tests positive. I don't know how anyone would be happy with that. Steve, what do you think happens to Sage Steele? Does she continue on at ESPN or do you think, because I, I think Sage got a contract under John Skipper that pays her quite a bit of money. And some of this feels like to me, this is just an excuse to shave some more money off the salary cap. It might be. It kind of reminds me of that movie. I don't know if you remember this, Jason. It was called Fast Break with Robbie Benson, where he got the scholarship and then the coach tried to run him off by torturing him and make, make him run laps. He got hit by a football player during a scrimmage. And they're basically saying, we want that scholarship back. We want that scholarship back. And that may, look, they're not making life easy. As Delano said, she might be the female version of Will Kane. Will Kane, this is always strange to me. Uh, ESPN's a programmer, first and foremost. They care about ratings and deriving an audience. Will Kane greatly outperformed everybody. I do not care if you don't care about his political values or any of his beliefs. He ran circles around a guy like, uh, who is it, Bomani Jones, who's been a ratings disaster at every platform he's been on at ESPN, who has lasted. But Will Kane understood the room. He read the room and he said, this ain't my room. And he got out of there and it looks like he's doing very well. Uh, I would guarantee this, that when it comes to Sage Steele in her own mind, uh, she's already vacated ESPN. I think it would be prudent for her to look for her next venture after this contract, regardless of when it ends. Thank you, Steve. Can't wait to see you here in Nashville. We got a pair of cowboy boots and a cowboy hat waiting on you. Uh, Shemika, I don't want, I don't want to leave the Sage Steel topic without bringing this up to you. 
They mentioned in this front office sports article that Jamel Hill's been critical of, of Sage Steele. I think I've read stories previously where L. Duncan has gone after Sage Steele. Uh, I, I don't want to reduce it down to just black women, but black women and just women in general, uh, and not that men are any more supportive. I, I don't know. Do you read anything in the fact that there is no female support base for Sage Steel? Uh, I would say it's kind of common. You know, I think if she was ugly, like, you know, Lori Lightfoot or mannish, like Lori Lightfoot, um, that there would be more women rallying around her to, to support her. You know, I think as women, sometimes you tend to want to see the cute person go down because then maybe that leaves a spot for you. Um, I, I don't think Jamil Hill stands a chance of, you know, taking that because uh, she's kind of leaning on the managed side as well. But um, I think that's, that's, that's what we do, you know, and I don't think people will rally around her because they want to see her, her go down. Obviously, a lot of it has to do with her politics. She doesn't yes. think the right thing. Yes. And so they want to bring her down. And, and you know what this whole, because I'm not, it's like I did, I don't want to see someone fail or root against someone because they think the wrong thing. But there's all this energy directed towards me and you guys or whatever for not thinking the right thing from the other side. And to me, it always feels like I, us speaking some uncomfortable truths, us talking the way black people actually talk amongst themselves off camera. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the hatred of us or the public vitriol is just like, man, y'all exposing the fraudulence of my arguments. Right. And that's why I gotta bring you down. Yeah, and, and I think, and we talk about this all the time on the show, politics has been elevated to almost a religious status in this country. And that's why it doesn't matter if it's race, if it's sex or gender identity, if you are a person who checks one of those marginalized boxes, but you don't say what the left wants you to say, they have no problem cutting you down. Even, and I brought up, you know, Caitlyn Jenner before, when, when he was saying he's gonna run for governor of California, People didn't say, oh, yes, let's get behind it because we may have our first transgender governor. They're like, no, this person has the wrong politics. Right. And they had no problem, you know, cutting them down to size and, and, you know, moving them out the way. I think it's the same. We see it all the time on race, obviously, when it comes to black conservatives. But Sage Steele occupies, you know, if I could borrow a term from the left, that intersectional space where she is both um, a black woman. Both, she's both black and a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's why. People like Carrie Champion, Jamel Hill. Um, they even, I even saw a comment from Sarah Spain because apparently Sage Steele said something about how some of the women in sports media dress and her feeling that they dress intentionally to draw attention to themselves, which I think if you look on different networks, that is an obvious point. But because Sage Steele does not toe the company line, she does not claim to be oppressed or victimized because she's a black woman, mm -hmm. they have no problem cutting her down to size. So when you really think about it, this is not about solidarity with women or, or believe all women or elevate women or listen to women's voices. It's about believe, elevate, and listen to the people who promote our particular political views. Exactly. If you're not down with that cause, we will call you all types of nasty names 
and, and throw you on the trash heap. For sure. And I have it out for Jamel Hill and Carrie Champion. Let's just put that out there because they tried to come for me. They did? Oh, yes, they did. Oh. Do tell. So, because I <laughs> called out Black Lives Matter and said that it was a hoax, it wasn't real, uh, they got upset with that and tried to, they on their little show saying, who, oh, whose old auntie is this? You know, and wanted to be upset with me because I had something to say about Black Lives Matter. So I had to remind Carrie Champion that she's the one that said she couldn't date black men because they wanted too much of black women. So if you want to penalize me or come down on me, let's talk about how you Ooh. have dipped over to the other side, Miss Missy, and you have, uh, colonize their hair Ooh. because I don't know what yours look like. Oh, boy. That's, that's quite interesting. Yeah, that, that, that is. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you had had spoke uh, with uh, Jamel and, and Kari Champion. Uh, not surprising. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's interesting. I, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I'll trying to figure out what it is I really want to say. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, for now. This has been very fascinating and interesting. Uh, let me tell you about NetSuite. Slow is just, is just right if you're on vacation, a sloth, or describing QuickBooks more like slow books. It sucks you in and slows you down with manual process, integration difficulties, and glitchy delays that leave you, oh man, that leave you scrambling for the numbers you need. Now is the time to make the switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system, because NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time, no matter how big your business grows. Failing to switch to NetSuite will leave you stuck trying to make sense of your books while your competitors sprint ahead 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. Special financing is back. NetSuite is offering one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com fearless right now. That's special financing at netsuite.com fearless. That's netsuite.com fearless. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Dallas and bring in uh, my fellow Blaze TV host, Chad Prather. He's written a hilarious new book, Am I Crazy? And uh, Chad, I'm gonna answer the question. <laughs> you are crazy, but just because you're crazy doesn't mean you're wrong. And there's some good stuff in this book, but first I want you, What's the point of Am I Crazy? What are you trying to do here? This is laced with humor. You're trying to use humor to make a point, but tell us a little bit about your book, and then I got some specific questions. You bet. Thank you for having me on, Jason. It's good to see you, man. And, uh, you know, I had this idea a couple of years ago. I said, obviously, the world is spiraling downward in, in a level of insanity that I don't know that history's ever known. And uh, we've given it a label, this ideology. Uh, we call it wokeness. And so. I wanted to write something that, uh, as the as the cover says, an unapologetic patriot takes on the insanity of today's woke world, and it really has 
been, been normalized, this insanity. So either I'm crazy or the, or the entire world is crazy. And so this is a, an opportunity to kind of take a, a logical look, if you can even define it as logical, but take a look at this craziness that we call culture and this, as I called it, a downward spiral. And uh, and try to make some sense out of it. You know, I uh, I've always tried to take common sense, or at least what I consider to be common sense, wrap it in a little bit of humor, make it an easier pill to swallow. And I think we were able to accomplish that in the pages of this book. Uh, it's it's a good toilet read, I can tell you that. I mean, the chapters are short, they're insightful, they're witty. Uh, you, you you might even read two chapters. It depends on what you had for dinner the night before. It's a series of essays, and you're right. It's easy. It's easy to digest. And it's humorous. Do, do you mind me saying that I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm gonna say a lot of inappropriate shit during this interview, Chad. I just want to tell you that <laughs> I tend to bring that out of people, some Jason. Of, yeah, some of your excerpts take me there, and I'm about to uh, reveal a couple. But am I wrong, Shamika? For I'm sitting here looking at uh, Chad. And I, I just want to say, just a good old boy, <laughs> never meaning no harm. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Dukes of Hazard. I'm sure he looks at me and thinks of Training Day. I tell a lot of people I was the star of the movie Training Day. Didn't okay. Washington. Yeah, I, I said, can obviously see it. That. Uh-huh. Did you dress? You see these cowboy boots Shamika has on? Did you dress up uh, just for because Chad was coming on? Is that why you put the cowboy boots on? I did, although I wasn't sure if he liked chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, there's a lot of fun, as Jason said, a lot of inappropriate things I could say, but those boots look good on you. Trust me, let's just leave it at that. I, you know, you talk about the woke world, people, people get, uh, what I say, they get a, uh, make a slip of the lip and get hung by the tongue, right? You wind up tying a knot with your tongue, you can't untie with your teeth, so I'm just going to leave it right there. Those boots, those boots look good on you, and, uh, and right. chocolate is, is a fantastic flavor. And, and listen, Chad, don't, don't hold back here, because... I'm telling you, the stuff I'm about to say uh-huh. uh, will be far more inappropriate than anything you say. I want to start here. You have an a, a essay about Colin Kaepernick, uh, and you, I'm going to quote directly from your book, a dude fro who got famous not for being a good football player, but for having the bravery to rise from his millionaire status in his upper middle class upbringing and rain down righteous verbal fire on the men and women of America's police forces by referring to them as racist pigs. And, and this really hits home for me. Obviously, I'm a sports guy, but also I'm someone that just finds this absolute lunacy that the guy could be abandoned by his natural parents, a white woman and an alleged black man, although there's no proof uh, of who the dad was, right. but be adopted by a middle-class suburban white family and basically saved by this middle-class white family, and that's the guy that has concluded that America is irredeemably racist. That kind of hypocrisy bothers the hell out of me, uh, Chad. Yeah, and, and I could summarize that chapter by saying Colin Kaepernick is an asshole. Uh, that, that's the best way I know to categorize a person like Colin Kaepernick. And, and you know, you remember Colin Kaepernick, who, who in all of his uh, blame-shifting and blame-gaming of trying to make uh, himself look like a victim and folks like it. I mean, you talk about winning the lottery. I mean, coming out of a potential very unfortunate life situation, uh, you know, and, and but winning the lottery in life and then to deign yourself as an oppressed human being. Uh, he's living the American dream, quite honestly. Um, wokeism, this is a perfect example. Wokeism 
uh, it can pay, right? Typically, we say get woke, go broke. Uh, it can pay. Uh, it could cost you your career, but you know you can. You know, there's a few folks out there, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, those kind of guys. They come to mind. But uh, the hypocrisy, as you said, it is here's a guy who wants to talk about the oppression of a certain group of people in America, and then he releases through Nike uh, a pair of tennis shoes that are well above $100 uh, a pair. And, you know, I don't know who is is coming out clamoring for these shoes, but I got a feeling it's not the folks in the inner city uh, that are that are running to the Nike stores to, to get a pair of these. So this is the kind of thing that I say we've normalized this kind of craziness. And we what I what I keep saying it, it, on every level, like we got to stop giving a voice and a level of celebrity to morons, people like AOC. People like Beto O'Rourke, people like Colin Kaepernick, they offer nothing on the cultural scale. They really don't. But we celebrate, we celebrate their idiocy and make them into something and actually give them a voice. And, and the shame is on us. It was hey, we were talking earlier in this show about Bubba Wallace, the mm-hmm. NASCAR driver who uh, I started out the show. But he, he's basically starring in a media movie, half black to the future. And they think that if if they take Bubba Wallace back in history to the 1950s and 60s. They're trying to pretend like that's what he's living in today. And it's the media. It's, it's Hollywood that's driving a lot of this. When I, when I read your rant about Colin Kaepernick, I'm going to tell you what I first thought of is uh, the last season of The Bachelor where they took this Rachel Kirkconnell right. uh-huh. that, uh, you know, put on a, a old school dress or whatever, went to an antebellum par- uh, party, and, and, and they called her racist. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, hold up. This is a relatively attractive white woman mm-hmm. on national TV in pursuit of a black penis for the rest of her life. <laughs> how is that, how is she racist? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I've been telling women, I've been telling women for a long time, Black sperm is the black scene. Uh-huh. Once you take the black scene, no one can call you racist anymore. Yeah. Rachel Kirkconnell took the black scene. Right. They believe in the vaccine. It works. It prevents racism. <laughs> if she took Matt James's black scene, how can she be racist? Right. She's not at all. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, listen, she was willing yeah. to allow, allow him to go south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? Uh, so th- that's... Uh, the concept that's integration right there that that's what it, it that's is that's change right? we can believe in that that is something i can get behind 100 percent, and and no pun intended quite literally i anyway Uh-oh. hey listen right. listen this, this is the insanity of the world we're living in right it, it if you could you could pick any topic right now any topic it doesn't matter what it is uh it, it could be you know the extinction of some woodpecker out in california right you apply you can apply racism to it you can you can you can make it something that is going to demonstrate white saviorism or supremacy or white priority or any of these things and that's exactly what they're doing if you want to get talked about if you want to get headlines if you want to be mentioned you just apply racism to it that's the world we, we're living in and unfortunately the word racism and the concept of it has become, to use a phrase, white noise. Nobody's paying attention to it anymore. Uh, I, you know, I tell my audiences all the time, I'm like, look, 
if you're a white person in America and you have conservative values or leanings, they're going to call you a racist. So just go ahead and just take the name, right? Because when they call you that, that's their way of labeling you so they can put you in a box, put you on the shelf, and they don't have to deal with you anymore. To give you a label categorizes you. And, of course, being a racist, being a Nazi, being a supremacist, being a xenophobe, a homophobe, you own down the list. It's insane. That's just not the real world we live in. But the media and uh, television and all of these, that's what they want you to believe. The Colin Kaepernick's of the world, the Bubba Wallace's of the world, who which, hey, congratulations, he won a race. Uh, and Michael Jordan, who is part owner of his, his race team, said he's never been so proud of someone in his life. Give me a damn break. Uh, the, guy, <laughs> the guy drives a car. Bubba Wallace is another uh, picture of privilege, if I, if I can be so bold, uh, in, in terms of his family, his upbringing, his opportunities that are there. To claim oppression is absolute asinine. Well, as I said, he's backed by Michael Jordan and McDonald's. Yeah. I don't know if there's two bigger brands in America than Michael Jordan and McDonald's. Uh, Shamika, I'm a little bit surprised. I need you to go here with me on Rachel Kirkano and Matt James because I- I'm not done with this this topic and this hypocrisy of the whole Bachelor deal. L- l- here- here's my issue with Matt James, mm-hmm. who I think is suspect. This man sat on national TV and they let them drag this woman who he apparently loves or claims to love mm-hmm. or whatever. I just can't relate to this era of men, right, and particularly black men, because any man that any of my friends, if they had found a picture of their girlfriend in one of them summer dresses, looking like an antebellum, whatever, they would have got on the phone and said, "Hey, baby girl, put that dress on. Don't put no panties on, <laughs> and come over here, and we're gonna play buck in the big house." Okay, right, <laughs> right. If you don't know, I'm gonna teach you how to play buck in the big house. I'm going to be a runaway slave running all through these panties, uh, <laughs> all through all of this. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man, we've turned everything into racism. You can't tell me that some white woman on national TV from the South in pursuit of a black husband, they made her racist. If they can do that, they can do it to anybody. Again, oh, for it's, sure. It's no different than me. You listen to the media. I don't do anything, generally speaking, my career has been defined by me showing up and creating jobs for black people, mm-hmm. and they call me, oh, uh, he's a sellout. He don't like black people. E- everywhere I go, black people get jobs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, this. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I'm pretty sure she likes men tied up. So they really could have acted that out and had a good time. You know, I like being tied up, so I, I okay. would think... <laughs> Someone that's been doing it for a long time okay. has no issue with it. Hey, Jason. <laughs> so, uh, Chad, I'm, Jason, I want to come to Nashville, man. Y'all got some, y'all yeah. got some fun fantasies going on right here. I, I like where your head's at. I'm coming to Nashville. Jamaica, holla at your boy. I'll just say, yeah, my audience may be a little shocked because, listen, I certainly lean in to my Christian faith, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was wanted to talk about your book is because I believe there are two groups or two professions that have let America down. Two professions are legalized to speak uncomfortable truths. Ministers and comedians. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to create space for everybody else to have uncomfortable, truthful conversations. Ministers from the pulpit 
are supposed to say things that no one else is supposed to say, and comedians on a stage are supposed to say uncomfortable things, truths, and, and both of these groups in the mainstream, the biggest stars have abandoned their roles and everybody just wants to make sure no, they don't offend anyone and no one says anything that can be misconstrued over social media. And that's why I think your book is important. I think what you do is important on your podcast and on your show. We, we gotta, ministers and comedians have to stand up and be honest and truthful again. Yeah. And that's what my show, and again, <laughs> I lean into my faith and I talk about my, but there's a comedic side of me. There's a Richard Pryor side of me that sometimes I gotta let out and you gave me the perfect excuse today uh, to let some of that out there. And I'm sure so. oh my God, Whitlock's a Christian, but you talking about the black scene. Well, I'm sorry, Christians get hard ons too. And Christians like to laugh at, at silly jokes too. And I'm gonna make some. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I you know, look, I'm, I'm involved not only in, in political media, but doing comedy, doing political humor. And then also, uh, you know, uh, I'm running for state office right now in the state of Texas. So, so when I go online or I go out and do shows, people want to they criticize me. Oh, you can't make that joke. I mean, the other day I made a joke after Bette Midler came out and said that she was going to boycott sex. I'm like, nobody wants to have sex with Bette Midler. But I made a post the other day. I said, man, I woke up this morning really wanting to have sex with Bette Midler, and now I can't do it. And people lost their damn minds over it. Uh, you know, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce and those guys in the early 20th or in the mid 20th century, they were they were going to jail over comedy comedy and you mentioned the pulpit and and also the stage you know comedy i believe is has been that last bastion of free speech that place where you can go up there and you could try things and you could fail and you could be offensive i built an entire brand you can go to watchchad.com and check it out called unapologetic patriot and i'll have people i had somebody at an event last week who came to me and said we want you to apologize for this phrase you used and i said absolutely not over my dead body i'm not apologizing for words uh that that's not i'm dead I refuse to do that. I'm unapologetic. So when you have these comedians that want to come out and do this mass apology tour, um, like what's the little little short dude that was on Oprah and everybody else talking about some gay joke he made on Twitter 10 years ago. I, I'm like, why in the world? Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm like, I, I'd be damned if I'm going to be Kevin Hart running around apologizing to everybody. He's on Ellen. Like who made Ellen the gay police? Like you got to go on there and she's going to absolve you of your gay sins of making gay <laughs> jokes. It, I mean, this is it, it's stupid. There'd be these people that pander like this. I mean, if you want to cancel me, cancel me. But I ain't apologizing for anything. I don't care if you're white, black, gay, skinny, trans. I don't care if you I don't care what you are. I don't care if you're hot, you're ugly. Look, I'm going to make fun of myself nine out of ten times. I'm certainly going to make fun of you. So if you can't understand that, stay out of the clubs, don't go to the comedy shows, because that's the whole point, is to make us uncomfortable, offend us a little bit with real truth, and to make us, uh, it, to, to affect cultural change, right? But now we got such soft-skinned, beta-soy cuck males out there. You talk about being a man, like, this is what's wrong, right? The old, the old hop quote who said, you know, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. We're headed into hard times because what? They, they labeled us as toxic masculinity. We make a joke about sex or, 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 you know, any kind of bravado that we have out there. They call that toxicity. Real masculinity, Jason, you guys know this, real masculinity isn't toxic. And if it's toxic, it's not masculine. So I say, hey, you know, let the hair on your chest hang out. Quit shaving your pubes, man. Uh, be a man. 
uh, let that thing dangle like a mushroom trying to survive in tall weeds. But be a man. Own it. Stink a little bit. It's okay. Rub a little funk on it. Be a man. I like and don't worry about who you offend. Too. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Shamika, you married? No, I'm not. All right, I'm coming to Nashville. You, Chad, do you know her nickname? We call her Shamoke Show. Shamoke <laughs> Show. All right. Hey, look, if you, if you she can... She definitely if, brings the heat. If, if you can handle so, a redneck... Chad. If you can handle a redneck like me, a country boy that grew up in the woods. Listen, I'm so country. I got a, I got a cousin that got arrested for a, at a cockfight for selling chicken salad sandwiches without a food permit. That's how country we are. Uh, I'm telling you, I'll let, I'll let you mull that one around a little bit. Uh, the chicken, the chicken. Well, you talked about growing pubic hair. You know that's good for exfoliating the skin. Uh, right, <laughs> so, exactly. You got to rub I'm it all, all over yourself. It. It's like a loofah. Pubic hair is like yeah. a loofah. <laughs> so, do you know if God is black or white, Chad? Is, is Let God? me tell you, black man, white man arguing yeah. over what color God is. White man says, I know for sure God is white. <laughs> black man said, oh, are you crazy? God is black. I know for sure he's black. White man said, look, it's right in the word. God is white. Black man says, not in the word. How, what do you mean? White man said, listen, God said, I am that I am. That's how you know he's white. If he was black, he would have said, I is that I is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's proof text right there. You take it to the bank. That's the best exegesis I've ever heard of the Bible. (laughs) So maybe you may have just gotten us in trouble. I don't know if you can get any more trouble than me in the black scene. I'm coming Uh, to Nashville. You got a problem with smelly women, though. You got a problem with smelly women that deodorant... Yeah. The older it's part of the patriarchy or yeah, matriarchy. We, what is it? We got a chapter. We got a chapter in this book about smelly women. Right. Because that's another thing of wokeism. Again, if you just apply these certain terms and labels to everything, it becomes relevant. So, you know, last year they came out with this thing that they said that women using deodorant. This was an actual news story. Women using deodorant. Uh, that was a sign of subjugation by the by the patriarchy because apparently men wanted their women to smell better and this was a way for women to please their men which i say look get out there and rub some stank on it i don't i mean do like when napoleon was coming home from his war he wrote to josephine his wife and said i'm coming home and i'll be home in two weeks do not bathe apparently he liked a little funk uh and so i say don't brush your teeth don't wipe your ass don't do any of this stuff just just let the let the loose end drag man don't shave your legs don't do anything uh let's get in some wild freaky jungle stuff but that's okay uh you do you and and i at the end of the day i'll hold my nose and wade into it (laughs) so you'll you'll go through the bush you'll fight through the through the bush to wade in the water that's right. You've right. seen Indiana Jones, <laughs> haven't you? Come in there with a machete and a whip. <laughs> All right, you know what? I'm I never coming I'm on Jason this. Whitlock's show ever again, I can tell you. Yeah, I think I'm going to... Y'all brought out the bad side of me. Tomorrow I can't wait to get back to Bo- Pastor Bobby Harrington and Pastor Anthony Walker if they'll have anything to do with me. There you We've go. made a bunch of inappropriate jokes here. Chad, thank you so much for the time. Everyone go out and get his book, Am I Crazy? Yes, he's crazy. But wokeism and this little social justice warrior culture we built is far crazier and it's driving people like Chad and myself crazy. Absolutely. I love both of you guys. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, like button. Uh, Stick with me. Don't, Don't abandon me because I showed you that Richard Pryor side of myself. 
I'm still the same old guy. I just like to laugh at dumb stuff. And I like to crack jokes. All right, we'll be back with more. All right. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want. All right, welcome back. Ah, a long, extended version of Fearless with Jason Whitlock today. A lot of good content, a lot of good conversations. Delano has written a column today about redefining the way we use the word sellout. Uh, we asked a question in the headline, who's the sellout, Snoop Dogg or Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas? I think the answer is very easy, but first, uh, let's, Delano, tell us what you wrote about today and what you were trying to accomplish with your piece. Sure, um, as I mentioned in the piece in the beginning, like a lot of people, you know, I have, I'm part of a text chat with some of my, my close friends and one of them, you know, in the context of talking about some of the work that I'm doing, asked the question, well, what is a sellout? Because it's something that I think a lot of black conservatives hear all the time that if you're black and, and you're conservative or you're, you know, right of center, that you're a sellout or coon or Tom. I'm sure we've all gotten those replies to things that we've written with the little, you know, memes of, you know, raccoons dancing across the, you know, across the stage. So it, it prompted us to have, you know, a fairly short discussion, and my position was simple. People who knowingly push, promote, encourage, or defend self-destructive ideas, values, beliefs, or behaviors for monetary gain. Um, I think in many respects, people tend to see someone like Justice Clarence Thomas as a sellout, but if you actually read, you know, his opinions and you understand his, you know, judicial philosophy, you'd see that his ideas, his worldview is rooted in the belief that black people can do things, right? That we have agency, that we have self-determination. So it's not, his, his worldview is not rooted in the notion that black people are, are victims or we're less than or we're inferior. It's really that, no, he believes that we are the same, we're equal to other people. Whereas someone like Snoop Dogg, and I mentioned this in the column, and rappers, and I used him as an example of, of you know, rappers who have particular values, his position is, no, I'm going to sell you sex, I'm going to sell you degradation, I'm going to sell you violence, I'm going to sell you self-destruction, drug abuse, and, and we buy it, we eat it up, we say that people like Snoop represent us, and whether it's Snoop, you know, I mentioned Cardi B before, Lil Nas X, all of those are people who promote values that we as black folk oftentimes don't believe in, but we reward them handsomely for it. So, that's part of the reason that I wanted to, to write the article. And in it, I use an example, um, and I said this to my friends, as a dad, you know the difference between trying to feed your kids vegetables and trying to give them sour milk, right? And anything that I won't put to my own lips, I'm not gonna give my kids because I love them too much. But in our community, our celebrities push stuff on us all the time that they don't advocate in their own house. They push gangbanging on our kids, and then they send their kids to elite private schools and, and elite colleges. So that's why I really wanted to talk about it, and, and I think it's about time that we have that discussion openly. You know, it was a perfectly timed column coming off of last night we went to dinner together, mm -hmm. of the three of us, and when I was reading your column this morning, I thought about our dinner because we talked a lot about 
or a little bit about the Breakfast Club. Mm. And and we talked about how, or actually when we were talking about the Breakfast Club, I was sitting there thinking like, we're actually tomorrow, today, mm -hmm. are going to be the antithesis of the Breakfast Club. We're gonna be the Supper Club. Right. And uh, we're going to be a group of black people having a discussion right. from a conservative point of view. And, and, and when I think of a conservative point of view, I really don't think of it politically, I think of it more as just a fearless point of view in terms of anything is up for discussion any any position you take we're not throwing you out of the race or or defining you as some kind of sellout because you think x y and z whereas the breakfast club and all the shows that are supported by corporate media just have a distinct point of view and anybody that disagrees with their point of view is a sellout mm -hmm. and is thrown out and and i, I just Sitting there last night at dinner, sitting here today doing this show, I, I just, I think about all the times over social media uh, that I've been called a sellout. I've, I've seen things written about me calling me a sellout. And, and I just go back to like, I wonder who they having dinner with and I wonder who they doing shows with. And I wonder, is their point of view as fearless and as open-minded as mine uh, and so, you know, reading your column this morning, I, I thought about myself and just others that get hit with that label. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just, it's comical to me. All right. Before, I just want to say, it's the capital S, so yes, I'm fresh in double O-P, D-O-double-G-Y-D-O-double-G, you see? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just had to get that out because, you know, <laughs> I was a Snoop Dogg fan. I'm sorry, Snoop, I got, you know. But you're right, you know, they do push that on our kids. Mm -hmm. And we talk about Clarence Thomas, we look down on people like Condoleezza Rice mm -hmm. or, you know, because of the politics. But these are the people that are actually standing for what's good for us right. you know I think maybe sometime we spoke about Ben Carson Dr. Ben Carson like he did amazing things Absolutely. yet anytime someone mentions him it's always with disdain right. they're always talking down about Ben Carson if it's a black person right. you know as if he's a coon or he's a sellout and I'm thinking look at all the amazing things that he's done but we'll push Snoop Dogg we'll push ghetto boys mm -hmm. you know because our mind is playing tricks on us, mm. and that's what we like, you know? And so I, I have to agree with that. We do need to redefine what it actually means. I just had to get that out. <laughs> Woo. And, and, and even the term, and I mentioned this in, in the article, right? The, the term Uncle Tom. That term comes, that, that, that slur comes, you know, from you know, a novel from Harry Beecher Stowe, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And Uncle Tom is used to describe, and I, I say it, a, you know, a sellout, on, on hyperbolic steroids, right? So the worst type of sellout, a person who's willing to, to sell out, you know, black folks to the white you know, conservative establishment. But in the book, Uncle Tom was the character who refused to give away the location of two runaway slaves, right? And he, and he went to his death rather than do that. So to me, part of the danger in continuing to use these terms so mindlessly and it really is mindless. Like I've been places where you, someone would just hear that somebody is, you know, conservative or Republican, or they sell out, 
They don't, they don't even know what they, what they stand for. They just said, oh, they're a sellout. But part of the problem is that when you, when you use these terms so mindlessly, our, our minds become dull and, and, and we you know, forget how to distinguish worldviews. Um, we, we forget how to um, evaluate logical arguments and all of our you know, positions are based on emotions and, and not on actually thinking because the people who walk around you know, every day talking about black history is so important, they don't even know the history of the terms that they're using because right. they're using them incorrectly. Right. Now, what they want to say is they want to call you Sambo. Right. Sambo was the character who you know, was trying to track down the two runaways. But I think this, is, this, this column, I think, piggybacks on the one I wrote a couple weeks ago in terms of the seven things that black folk need to do you know, as it relates to, to, to politics, to detach ourselves from the notion that black identity is rooted in democratic politics and mm -hmm. leftist politics. Um, and one of those things is to not reflexively refer to one another as these terms without thinking what we mean. The, the irony is that a couple weeks ago, the whole you know, Nicki Minaj vaccine controversy, she called, uh, Nicki Minaj called Joy Reid, I think she's called her Auntie Thomasina. Mm -hmm. right? And again, I, I try not to use those terms because I think people should be able to think what they want without being you know, denigrated racially. But it was ironic to see some of the folks on the left, one of them being Jamel Hill, saying, I think black people should be able to disagree about issues mm -hmm. without calling each other Uncle Tom. And I said, oh, really? Right. Where y'all, you know, the other six days of the week when people do this to black conservatives without even thinking about it, and the black left cheers and they say, yeah, yes, queen, and right. they, they, they go all in in it. But when one of their own gets called an Uncle Tom or Auntie Thomasina, then they, then they find religion. And I think that is one of the biggest problems in black political discourse today. I'm wondering if it can be fixed or solved. And, and I'm unsure because the facts are so overwhelming in terms of, like, there's one side of the argument, and this as it relates to politics, what conservatives get accused of is like saying, you know what? I know you want to get up this hill and I know it's, you got to actually, you got more of a headwind than perhaps others, mm -hmm. but here's how you should get up the hill. Mm -hmm. and, he, and so it's like, here's how you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And someone's trying to give you the information you need to get up that hill, move you and your family ahead. That group is dismissed as, well, they're, they're racist and they don't see the headwind and they don't want to do anything about the headwind. The other group tells you, or the side on the left, like, man, there's a headwind. And uh, the only way to stop that headwind is to stop them racist white people over there. Mm. But meanwhile, let me tell you how to party and socialize right. and hang with me. And we get so caught up in the fact that like, well, if I got to choose between uh, a white Republican or a white Democrat, the white Democrat likes to party with me and he'll do drugs and mm -hmm. invite me to parties and I can have sex with his daughter and he won't care. Right. And so we choose them based on that mm -hmm. as opposed to like, well, this person's trying to give me the information I need so that I can be independent and self-reliant, take care of myself, uh, have sex with women who look like me, 
that, that's their preference. Right. And same preference my mama has. My same too. preference my daddy had. <laughs> same preference just everybody. My, my brother, mm-hmm. his wife, my sister, her husband. They got the exact same preference as the racist alleged white people. Right. It's just like, hey man, don't you know, do whatever you want, but just don't sleep with my daughter. Right. <laughs> they don't think no different than. Right. I'm just. Telling, that was like me and my father's biggest beef. Mm. Why is this white girl calling our house? That was our beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, I just this is what I just try to tell my family, friends, or whatever. It's like, I, I'm not going to demonize that guy for thinking the exact same way I do. as me yeah. and others. And, and I say that in full hypocrisy. Uh, <laughs> full admitted hypocrisy. Uh, but, but we just keep, oh, they like us, so I'm going to go with this group rather than that group is trying to actually tell me, here's how the game's played, here's how you can play it. Yeah. Take care of yourself, because I'm busy over here taking care of myself, yeah. and I don't want to be your babysitter. These people want to be your babysitter. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I think that's why you see everything that the left touches always ends up pushing helplessness and victimhood on black folks, right? Even, even something like the things that have to do you know, with COVID, sometimes you hear the president talking and it really feels as if they think like they're our father. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I got a daddy already. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to, to a politician or elected official to be telling me, you know, well, you really can't do anything unless I help you. And, and that's the part of their, their you know, position that bothers, it irks me the most. When they bring on people like Robin DiAngelo or Tim Wise or Jane Elliott, all these other, you know, white anti-racist activists, and they say, well, white people, we need to change ourselves so that black people could do X. And I'm just like, who are you people? You know what I mean? Like, who cares what you think? My position in my family is much more important to the to the ultimate trajectory of my kids than what you think about them. Exactly. Um, And and that's why it's, it's so crazy, because to me, it's clear as day. On the conservative side, little c conservative, because again, this is not about electoral politics. Most of what we talk about is not really about politics. Right. On the conservative side, conservatives believe in, in self-determination, hard work, merit, and when you work hard, you do those things, you, you practice the right values, ultimately your life will improve and you'll move up. On the left side, on the progressive, or really the regressive side, it's about victimhood, it's about claiming oppression, um, you could grow up in a perfectly, you know, uh, a situated two-parent home, go into the most elite schools, but if you're a guy and, 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 you know, a white woman in Brooklyn says, allegedly, go back to your hood, now you're on, you're on camera, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm traumatized. And that's what we're, that's what we're mass producing mm-hmm. from K through 12 education into college, and these people turn around, they take the most prestigious positions at the New York Times, CNN, all of the cultural institutions, and all they blare 24 hours a day is that black people are victims, we're victims. And when they're not saying we're victims, they're basically saying we're degenerates. So men can get pregnant, um, sleep with whoever you want, um, dismantle- Have a thousand abortions. Have a thousand abortions, <laughs> dismantle the nuclear family, and anyone who questions those things is a white supremacist. And that's really the problem that I have with it. So that's why I think it is time to, to redefine that term. Um, 
I think in the coming years, conservatives are going to be leading a lot of conversations around race, racial identity, and American identity. We talked about, you know, is it time to retire the one-drop rule? Another one is, what, what is, what is a BIPOC? How did we go from black to black and brown, now it's black indigenous people of color, as if all of those groups, which represent everyone from you know, uh, an immigrant from Afghanistan to an Eskimo to uh, a Hispanic person from Cuba to a black guy from Detroit, how is it we think that all of those groups have the same interests, views, uh, and values? Right. Basically, what they want to say is non-white. Right. And the left wants us to split up into white and non-white. And they think if we draw the circle wide enough that the non-whites will have enough power to topple the whites. And that's why they push all of these things on, on the black community. And I think it's time for us to say enough. We're, we're done with it. We're not going to, you know, be your guinea pigs in this grand social experiment. Give us our families back and get out of the way. Exactly. And do not think that brown is the new black because me being raised here and my ancestors being here is different from someone floating over here on the inner tube. <laughs> we're not the same. I, I'm going to say this about the... Your point, Delano, I, I want to, and, and we'll wrap it up here, is, is this belief that non-whites are going to take over America or take over the world and whites, blah, blah. It's a myth. It's a booby trap. It's, it's, it's a game. And I'm not saying that at the end of the day, what they, also, what they really think is, all the non-whites who believe white people are Jesus mm-hmm. will take control of America and mm-hmm. the world. And so what they want are docile black people, docile brown people, docile Asian people that will put all their belief in white people. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's like Nancy Pelosi or whatever, like her kids are gonna be or grandkids or whatever are gonna be the minority, mm-hmm. But they're still going to be in control and the power. Right. And so if you go look down and it's why they've opened our borders and and want everybody from South America to come up here, because if you look for the most part in those countries, they got the BIPOCs, but white people, the whitest people are actually in control of those countries. There's a bunch of dark people down there, Mm -hmm. but the people actually running things look just like Nancy Pelosi. Right. They all get to identify as BIPOC or whatever it is. They're people of color like everybody else, but they're really white. And so it's just like a, it, that's why we're so threatening is because it's like, no, nah, man, I don't want you to be my Jesus. I don't want you to be my provider. Exactly. Right? I, I want to provide for myself. That's what I like about America. That's what my daddy liked about America. And I, I don't, I don't want you to have rulership over me. Right. And again, there's a whole group of us on the left of variety of colors that that see the white man, and oh, if, if he just feels sorry enough for me, mm. he's gonna put an extra biscuit on my table. Yes. And, yes. And oh, I'm gonna be so happy <laughs> yeah. because I'll get the extra buttered biscuit. Yes. And though people like Jason, he won't get that butter biscuit uh-huh. from Mr. White folks because yeah. he hasn't been obedient to Mr. Yeah. White folks. Right. 
and, and, and they hate it. And that's why I don't like the Black Lives Matter with the white people taking over and feeling like they need to wear Black Lives Matter and put Black Lives Matter signs in their yard because I'm saying, you think your voice carries more weight than mine? I know that my life matters. I don't need you to speak for me. And that's what I don't like about the people on the left because they feel like they need to speak for me. Yes. Whereas conservatives will give me the mic, let me speak for myself. So, we've gone long today, and this is going to be it. And I, I think the show may actually be a little bit out of order today. We're going to end here. Uh, and, and I hope you enjoyed the segment before here with Chad Prather. That, that was going to be uh, the ending of our show, but we're going to end actually here. And uh, I, this is one of my favorite shows. You guys did a great job. It was good. Having you guys here in Nashville. Uh, I think I hear Tamar playing in the background. I actually talked to Tamar. I think she's gonna come here and visit me and sing this freedom song in person for us. Uh, But uh, thank you guys, and uh, we'll see the rest of you tomorrow. My sister, no relation, we all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seeds when we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just